there are less strategic initiatives that we do every year as we get bigger, not more, but there's more leverage to those strategic initiatives. You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome to the Flip My Funnel podcast. I am super pumped. I have the co-founder and CEO of HubSpot, most people know who this person is, uh, author of two books, a public company, and may I brag humbly that he's an investor in Terminus as a company, HubSpot, so uh, we're super excited. But here's something I, I feel when I was doing some research on, on, on Brian, haven't known him for a little bit, but, but really on Glassdoor, he's the top rated CEO on 2014, 2015, 2017, and 2018. I don't know what happened in 2016. So we- I don't know what happened that year. <laughs> so he's the top rated CEO for, for like number of years and obviously haven't grown and scaled the company. And the topic we're going to talk about is is role of a leader as you scale a business. So, so Brian, welcome to the show. It's an honor to be here, my friend. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been awesome to just watch the journey uh, and inbound. And I remember in the very early days, as we were thinking about, you know, as, as you, you, you and Dermation, the team were thinking about investing, I remember you making a comment like, you guys remind us a little bit about our early days. Uh, I, I wonder if you, if you want to reflect on that a little bit. Particularly you, because you're a prolific content creator, and also you guys have taken a stand on creating this new market, ABM, and those were the two keys very early on for us, Darmesh and I. And we were prolific bloggers in the early days. We would each blog a couple times a week and we were mildly competitive about whose blogs would uh, do better. (laughs) Uh, And uh, we also, you know, we didn't call HubSpot internet marketing software. We called it inbound marketing. We contrasted with outbound. Kind of reminds me of Flip the Funnel and ABM. You're trying to create an industry versus just wade into another industry. So reminds us a lot of what we did in HubSpot in the early days. That is so awesome, Matt. That's so awesome. So let's start with a fun fact, something that you may or may not have shared with a lot of people. Okay. I have a few fun facts, but this logo here, you know what this logo is? No. What is that? This is a, a wolf, and uh, this is a, the logo that is on Jerry Garcia's guitar. And I purchased at auction Jerry Garcia's guitar about a year ago. And it's called Wolf, and he played it from about 1972 to 1979. And it's kind of my most treasured possession. And, and I'm sort of the Grateful Dead community treats it as a very revered instrument. And yeah. so I'm the keeper of this very important instrument. I treat it very carefully. It's played by professional musicians quite a bit on tour. It's, moved, it's going to California for a little bit to go do some concerts on the West Coast soon. Uh, then it's going into the Metropolitan Mu- Museum of Art later this year. And so one oh, fact about me is I own this very famous guitar uh, that I'm I'm sort of the owner of, but I'm the almost the caretaker of it, I would yeah. say, uh, yeah. for the community. But yeah, that's one weird fact about me. I'll give you some other weird facts about yeah, me. Yeah, please. I bring my dog Romeo to work every day. Come here, Romeo. Come on. Come here. Come on. Every day? Every day Romeo is there with you? Everybody wants to see it. Come on. Oh, here's a Romeo. Hello, everyone. Oh, wow. This is cool. Uh, Big dog. 
fun facts about me that not everyone knows. That is so cool, man. That is so cool. That that just shows, you know, how, how long have you been bringing Romeo to work? Eight years. Wow. Eight years. Yes. And here's the thing that's funny about Romeo. So I walk down the hall and everyone looks at Romeo and says, hey, Romeo, how are you? It was a good job. Like, Nobody asked you. Hey, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's got to keep you happy and, and excited. All right. Before we get into this idea of role of a leader, which I know you have a lot of, lot of, I loved your presentation at Inbound every year, and I know you have a lot to say and have shared on HBR and many other places as you write. You wrote a quote a few days ago that caught my attention, and I wanted to kind of dig in on that a little bit. You said, building software that is enterprise grade on the back, back end and consumer grade on the front end is the holy grail. Let, let me just repeat for people who may not just capture it. Building a software that is enterprise grade on the back end and consumer grade on the front end is the holy grail. I really loved it. I feel I sent it to my whole team. I think we should frame this thing because that's what we should be thinking. We should not be making it clunky for our customers. We should make it super easy, but on the back end, we may be running like hamsters. That's okay. Can you unpack that quote and that thought and, and how that came about? I don't know where it came about. I was just thinking about it and using, we just closed a large deal at HubSpot and I called the customer to thank them for buying. And I asked, you know, why'd you buy? You know, what, what, you know, this, you've got lots of choices. Why'd you pick HubSpot? And he didn't use those words, but they were very similar words. And effectively he said, you know, your software is very easy to use. It's kind of fun to use. It's very consumer-like, Apple-like in its UI. And he said, you made enough progress on the back end with scalability, with supportability, uh, with uptime. You really opened up your APIs and you're supporting them really well. Your enterprise grade on the back end. And that combination was really special. And that's why we bought. And I just turned that into a little tweet. Yeah. And I think that's hard to do. I mean, companies are usually either really good at the back end and they're enterprise grade and they're SOC compl- too compliant and they've got great APIs and uptime, but man, the friggin' UI is just crap and it's torture to use it. Or their UI is great, but the back end is, you know, either not scalable or it's not open or for whatever reason. And, and combining those two, I think is really hard. And yeah. I think the future will be very valuable to companies like ours and like yours. Yeah. Oh, we, I mean, we take a lot of pride. I feel like Brian uh, on our time, who's our chief product officer, like he literally feels like the Apple style, right? Like where you as a developer want to sign the back of your software, you should feel so proud about it that it's so easy and convenient and, and people should really take pride in building simplistic UI, simplistic way to use a customer. So, so I think a lot of people are going to dig in uh, on that one. So let's talk about the role of a leader, especially when it comes to scaling a business. Now, you have taken this company for a number of years and now, you know, obviously through public and grown a, such a huge community, 20,000 plus people attend Inbound, which is incredible conference. For those of who have never been there, must go. What is, what is in your mind, maybe one or two or three things that come to your mind when you think about a role of a leader and how does that change as you scale your business? Well, first of all, let's talk about scaling. I think the economy's changed in the last couple of years, and it's easier than ever to start, cheaper than ever to start. Like, let's say you're in the software industry like the two of us. You've got AWS out there. Uh, You can work out of your home or WeWork. Everything you buy is as a service. All this open source software is available to you. 
the barrier to entry to starting a new software company couldn't be lower. It's yeah. easy to start. And you can see that in our world. Like in my world, when we first started HubSpot, we were in the marketing business. There were 17 marketing software companies on the planet 12 years <laughs> ago. And today there's something like 6,000 of them. Like there's just been an explosion of technology. And it's just relatively easy to start a software company. It's relatively easy to start any kind of company. As a consulting company, it's easy to start a hardware company like in rapid prototyping, the cost of that stuff's really dropped. CAD software's dropped. You can go to China and get anything made relatively quickly and cheaply. Like, it's amazing what's going on in the economy. The flip side of that, the downside of that, is it's become really hard to scale. I mean, it's really hard to go from 10 guys at guys and gals at product market fit to 1,000 people and really scale it up because it's very hard to... It's, you can get an unfair advantage shortly, but those unfair advantages don't tend to last long. Because it's so powerful, the tools out there, and so cheap to compete. And so I think that times have changed. I also think, like, when it comes to scale, the companies that these days seem to be doing well aren't the companies necessarily with a better mousetrap or even a better product. Those product advantages seem shorter lived than ever. It's a better product's important, but it needs to be matched with a better go-to-market. And it used to be that, you know, an old professor of mine used to say, you have to have a product that's 10 times better than the competition to win. Yeah. And now I think it's more you have to have a go-to-market that's 10 times better than the competition. <laughs> and that the real competitive advantage almost needs to happen on the go-to-market side. And the go-to-market can't be an afterthought when you're starting yeah. a company. Typically, these days, the go-to-market is the competitive advantage of it. Man, I couldn't agree more on that. Like, and as you, you shared before, like, you know, I think... I remember spending time with you and a lot of your executive team are so honored to, to spend that day with you in the office. And I remember just going through those conversations is like everybody's super passionate about the problem they're solving yeah. more so than the product. Like they, yeah, they love the product, but what they're really excited about is the problem they're solving. And I feel like that to me is a underlying thing that every company should have is that you need, you need to wake up and fall in love with the problem over and over again that we want to solve, as opposed to falling in love with the product we have, because the product is going to change, but hopefully the problem you're solving is not. I wonder what your thoughts on that. I'll give you my favorite example, and this is the B2C world, but it applies to the B2B world. I wake up every morning on a Casper mattress. When I wake up, I put my glasses on, and my glasses I got from Warby Parker, and then I turn my phone on and I turn on Spotify and I listen to the Grateful Dead. I dance my way into the bathroom and I shave with my Dollar Shave Club razor. And then I put on my Trunk Club outfit and then I take an Uber to work. And I think of those six companies, they're all less than 10 years old. They're all growing like weed. They've all upended their industry. They all basically sell the same exact product as their predecessor, but their business model they go to market is I think that's happened in spades and B2C. I think it's going to start happening in, in, in B2B in a big way. Oh, man. That is such a, like, so we, what you're literally saying is that we all are walking, talking brand advocates. Every single day, wherever we go, we are literally brand advocates of the companies that represent um, and, and the reason you, we wear maybe on, Under Armour or, you know, the clothing that we wear or stuff, it actually is a way of us sharing our own brand affinity that, that is what's happening. I would actually say a little different than that. I would say the reason I use a Casper mattress 
is it was easy to buy and easy to set up. The reason I bought Warby Parker glasses is they sent me five samples. It was easy to buy and set up. The reason I use Spotify is I can spend 10 bucks a month and listen to unlimited music. The reason I use Dollar Shave Club versus Gillette from CVS, they're all easier in lighter go-to-markets and they've all won in their markets, I think, because it's a lighter, better go-to-market that matches the way people want to buy. What I think is interesting is they all sell the same darn product as, you know, their predecessor that they disrupted. They just sell it in a better way. So I I, I think people are underestimating go-to-market and business model innovations. It strikes me the best companies today aren't deep tech companies so much, but business model innovation companies. And I love that. Love it. Because they're easy to buy and easy to set up. I love that. All right. So now let's talk about leader. What is the change in the leader role as you scale like you know I, I, like i remember as we started off like three co-founders and getting to 200 people we were like man everything has changed like you know we can't have the same like the decisions are made a lot slower than we would want to make or we would say that well things are not just happening as fast as they used to happen even we were like 10 people and somehow it felt like we we're accomplishing more sometimes than when we have 200 people like we sometimes, as founders and executive team that have been from day one, start feeling that kind of stuff. But when we take a step back, it feels like, no, no, we're actually making a lot of progress. But in a day-to-day, it almost feels like we are slower than we ever were before. Did you ever feel that? Yeah, you are slower. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely slower than we were. Uh, we're definitely slower. And we kind of had to get over ourselves on that and just be like, yeah, we're good. We're, there, there's a, a thing that everyone knows about called tech debt. There's also, you know, something that's sort of this decision debt. And when, if, if as you scale, you put band-aids on everything and you're making lots of short-term decisions and you're gluing everything together, eventually you're going to have to get serious and build something that will scale. And so less and less when we're sitting in the meeting in the decision, should we hack this together in a month or should we do it right and it'll take us eight months? More and more, we're finding ourselves saying, let's just do it right the first time versus hacking it together in a month and then a year from now being like, ah, we just compiled all this debt and all this other crud we're having to clean up. We tend to take the two steps back to take the one step forward versus the quick and dirty solution. And that's a balance. You can't do it all the time, but uh, we've had to get comfortable with that, that we are slower and that's okay. And ironically, we have more people, but in a way, it almost seems like we get less like there are less strategic initiatives that we do every year as we get bigger, not more, but there's more leverage to the strategic initiatives. So we just sort of had to get over ourselves on that. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. It makes me feel better. Thank you for echoing in that sentiment. I'm just, I'm just messing around with my computer. So on this topic, Aaron Levy, who's my favorite person to follow on Twitter, he's friggin' hilarious at Levy, L-E-V-I-E. He's got a, he's got a tweet that I think nails the act of going from startup to scale up. Starting up is the act of doing as many jobs as possible so your company can survive. Scaling up is the act of shedding as many jobs as possible so your company can survive. (laughs) (laughs) It's the nail on the head. It's like when you're small, you're probably the best person in your company at every job. You're probably the best support person. You're the best salesperson. You're the best marketer. You may be the best coder in the company. But as time goes on, you have to get comfortable with the fact that you're probably not the best at anything anymore and that you have to really get good at shedding jobs and letting people do their jobs. And I tell you what, the thing that makes you a good founder and CEO in startup mode is you're good at doing everything and you're a control freak. 
Right. That, 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 that great strength turns into kryptonite, turns into a great weakness as you, as you scale. And for me, I'm transitioning out of that, and it's everything I can do not to meddle in everything. I just am like this. Stay out of that. They can do it. They'll do a better job than you anyway. And that, I think, is a big key to scaling. And if your superpower when you're small is doing all this stuff, what you need to get really good at as you get bigger is making the right decision, mm. not delaying the decision a long time. That's one weakness of decision making. Not being a flip-flopper, being thoughtful about a decision. One of the crossroads we went through at HubSpot was we'd all be around the table. There'd be different points of view. Romeo would have one point of view and we <laughs> have another point of view. We'd argue it and then uh, decide. And then we'll go off and do whatever we're doing. And let's just say Romeo lost the decision. He would come back and lobby me and say, you know, you really blew that decision. Here's why you didn't get it. Let me re-explain it. Yeah. And inevitably, Romeo would convince me and I would change my mind. And that wasn't a big deal when we were small. Changing your mind is cheap when you're small. But yeah. when you're big, holy crap, you know, you've got these huge, huge numbers of people in IT investments and whatnot. So changing your mind is cheap when you're small and expensive when you're big. And so now what we do is we're just, we're more thoughtful about it. We hear everybody's perspective and I'll make a decision. Oftentimes it's unpopular. That's okay. And if I make a decision and somebody looks at me and says, are you sailing the ship on that? That means the ship is leaving the harbor and it's never coming back. And if I say it's sailing the ship, sailing the ship, that means no lobbying. You have to disagree and commit like they say at Amazon. And even if you didn't win this argument, you disagree with it, you've got to line up behind it and execute it. That was a, that was a cultural shift that was tricky, but was an important one for us. Wow, that, that's great. Well, you just mentioned Amazon and you might be, you know, you might have done this before. What I did this holidays was, I, instead of reading a book, I printed Jeff Bezos shareholder letters from 1997 to, you know, 2017. And I read every one of them. They're probably one of the most beautifully written, well thought out. He's not using any PR person to do that. He's clearly writing every word of it. And he, as you probably know, he attaches his day one. And he talks about this idea of like day one is, is how we're going to have as a culture and day two is status. And, uh, you know, day two is where you really uh, is followed by debt and irrelevance. Like he talks about that, like we would never have day two at Amazon. Do you have something that you think about it like at, at HubSpot as day one versus day two? We don't. I love what he does on that. I love how he says that. I will say what we talk about at HubSpot is, is innings for baseball fans around here. Yeah. And I always say, yeah, we're in the second inning of the baseball game, like relative to what's in our hands on what we can do for our customers and the value we can deliver. It's still very, very, very early. And so when investors or employees or whatnot talk about it, I'm always like second inning, second inning, second inning, still very early in the game for us. And I would say just for myself, a lot of people are like, well, it must suck now. You know, you're a big company and slow and it's boring. I'm like, I actually know it's still early in the innovation cycle and the S-curve of our industry. There'll be more S-curves we hope to be part of. We still have a lot of product we're shipping. We still have a lot of innovation. I have lots of ideas for new products and I'd rather launch them on HubSpot as a platform than start some new other company. These days we have lots of employees and partners and customers and we have market cap. Like we can do stuff. These are the good old days. The startup days to me were, yeah, they were interesting and fun, but this is much more fun. You have a much bigger impact. You can get more done. You have, you have money to do stuff with. I like it now, actually. If I have, <laughs> like, I'm more, I, I think it turns out I'm more a scale-up person than a startup person. Oh, man. It's almost like you grew into it. 
right? And like, I feel like I'm growing through into it because I didn't think I could do or I could be happy at a hundred people company in a, in a way. And then I feel like, no, this is actually, you're slower in some of the, the process perspective, but to your point, there's more leverage and impact now than we could have ever done. And every yeah. good thing takes time. And, and I think that's really what happened. Yep. Yep. I, I'm very happy. Like I'm super happy in my job, in my work. I work with people I like to work at. I like the impact we're having. I'm having a lot more fun in year 12 than year two. That is beautiful. All right. So as we always try to do, we try to keep it short, but as I shared, like here are my two plus pages of notes from a lot of what we So I'm going to try to summarize two or three big things for everybody who's listening. And then Brian, I would love for you to share a challenge to everybody who's listening in a leadership role. How do they think about scaling themselves, their teams, their products, maybe their, you know, their company, whatever leadership role they might be. So, so the big ideas for me from this podcast so far is, <laughs> I remember you sharing a snippet of this also at Inbound. So this is now really getting tattooed in my brain, which is easy to start, hard to scale. Easy to start, hard to scale. I think as easy as it is to start, remember that the hard part is really scaling the business. So don't let that be like, oh, it's somebody else. No, that is really the hard part. I'll give you the sister one to that. Yeah. It's getting easier and easier to start, harder, harder to scale. My sister line is, it's not what you sell, it's how you sell it today. That's more important. What you sell, how you sell. I love that. It's love that. Which really goes to the second point, which is the go-to-market, the how you sell part of it is 10 times more important now than the product you sell. It's just like something big. Uh, yes. Totally. Right. Like you, you talked about like all the Casper, Warby Parker, Spotify, Dollar Shave, Uber, like all of these, these companies are poster child examples of that. Love that. And, and the reason you got with all of them, it's funny, you and I, one thing that's fun for me to say that we have in common is that I take Uber almost every day to work purely for that reason is it's convenient. It takes me like an hour to get to work. I get so much work done in that time that it's like the best thing. And by the time I'm coming home, I'm already cleaned up my inbox and now I'm spending time with my family and not with ideas in my brain. So I love that. But you mentioned the reason you bought these things is because, and I don't want people to miss this, this is really important, easy to buy and easy to set up. So beyond whatever people might be building in teams and products and services, remember, if you can make it easy to buy and easy to set up, people are going to just do it. You, you don't have to convince them and try to have big sales lobbying to be done there. And then I'm going to go look at some of the tweets that you just mentioned. But man, changing your mind is cheap when you are small and early. Oh, I remember that I changed my mind all the time because new information changed my mind. New information changed my mind. But when you grow and you scale, I think we have to be very cognizant of making sure the right people are involved and they know why behind it. Because I think if they don't know why, then we as leaders, I think, lose credibility overall. Well, with that being said, like there are like so many other things that I will cut, put those in the show notes. But, but Brian, what is the one challenge you want to share to people and leaders who are trying to scale? Okay. I, the one thing that's helped me a lot is once a month, I write down the five things I want to get done this month and I post them on the wiki so the whole company can see them. And then at the end of the month, I come back and say how I did it on them. If anyone asks me to do something that's not on my five priorities, I probably am saying no. And when I say no, I can say, sorry, it just didn't hit me. It wasn't on my priority list. And they can go and look at the priority list. I think, the, I think people try to do too many things, particularly executives and startups and scale-ups. 
and they need to do fewer things and do them very well and delegate much more. And so I guess that would be my challenge is what are the five things you want to get done this month and that you want to do well? What are the five things you're not going to just stop, not do this, all this stuff uh, this month? I would also challenge people to think about their email and their Slack differently because email and Slack is basically you're doing everyone else's to-do lists yeah, because they're basically sticking their to-dos in your channels. Sure. You know, too many people run their life on Slack and on email and not enough on a paper with your to-do list and the project management, I think it's sort of where you should have your center of gravity. I, to- I, I totally challenge. love that. That'd be my challenge. Yeah, that, I, mean, I, I totally love that. And especially when you said... Time, not more and more. <laughs> well, I mean, you, and I think if I remember correctly, this, this week, I remember when I was in the office, uh, somebody mentioning this, but I feel like this is public to everybody in the company. So everybody in the company knows yours, but it's not just yours. I think it's for all the executives. And back to the Amazon thing, Bezos is doing something similar. What he's trying to do is be a better decision maker, I've noticed, and he wants to make one good decision a day or something like that. Yeah. And he's set up his schedule such that the important meetings where a decision needs to happen for him happen between 10 and noon, which is, I guess, when his brain is in the most mm-hmm. alert state, which is interesting. Not everyone is in that state at that time. But he's also really looks like he's rethought his world to do a lot less. But his job is a decision maker. You know, it's just trying to make really good, solid decisions. I thought that was pretty interesting. They're clearly doing something right up there. That's awesome. All right, Brian, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate that. Good to meet you and good to meet little Romeo as well. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.